This is London Calling. London Calling. We just talk to people, we listen to people, I get it. Uh, talk to people, we saw pe uh, people's reactions. Uh, we were talking to constituents, we were talking to a whole range of uh, stakeholders. And we felt that the 45p issue, the 45p rate, uh, was drowning out a strong package of, of intervention on energy, uh, a strong package of intervention on tax cuts for uh, people generally, and we decided not to proceed uh, with, with getting rid of the 45p rate. Welcome to London Calling with me, James Dallingpot, and my very good friend, Mr Toby Young. Toby, you, you intimated that you might be at the Conservative Conference. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in my hotel room at the Premier Inn, um, in Birmingham, because I'm currently attending the annual Conservative Party conference. Um, and, and I have to apologise in advance to our listeners that the sound quality may not be as good as normal because I'm recording it on the built-in mic on my MacBook Pro because I wasn't able to bring my external yeah. mic with me. I hope it's not People too have tinny. come to expect tip-top sound quality <laughs> for, from us. I think they have, the yeah. stand-up features of our of our podcast that are going to be gutted toby i can't hear it anyway um, okay uh, good then. um yeah. well you, you um from my end i like a damn fool do you know what i did what i didn't go and get my um my kill shots and i think this may be the reason why i've now got a sore throat and i'm feeling a bit rotten oh do you think if you actually might I'd have the the the, the corona no, I don't think so. I think, I think I've got what's known as a sore throat, and I'm fighting off an infection of some kind. Right. That's probably okay. what it is. I'm, 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 but I'm letting my body's immune system deal with it rather than some oh, some Bill tricky. Gates... A little bit risky, um, James. MRNA. Risky. Taking your life in your hands there. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? I'm, I'm going old school. I, I don't know how I'm still alive, actually. Well, we'll see by the end of this podcast. I could be dead. And we've got big excitement, haven't we, Tobes? We've got, like, our most ever advertisers we have our poor podcast. listeners not only do they have to put up with me sounding a bit tinny but uh, we've actually got five sponsors of this episode which well, i think is an all-time record can i say tobes actually on the on that that subject um i think that the adverts we're getting are actually really interesting they're not they're not sort of rubbish that you just get to like boy up your crappy show they're genuinely interesting things that I think people are... I mean, look at the, the success Thor has had. He, I mean, he, uh, he wouldn't be keep, keep going back as he has this week no, if I he think, weren't yeah. getting really good feedback. I think he's getting a lot of business um, via his ads on London Calling. I think it's a fantastic uh, value for money from his point of view. And also, of course, ideolo ideologically, he's, he's definitely um, with us. I think especially with me, to be honest, which is why he's asked me to read this, um, this week's um, ad. So shall I go ahead? Why don't you go ahead? We've got so many to get through. It's called Letter to a London Caller. Dear London Caller, I, that means Thor, I think, I've met so many positive people since sponsoring this show, and I'd like your advice, please. The London Callers Coffee Club. This will be a business mastermind group to focus on what we still can do. After all, there are still deals to be done and business missions to deliver on, even in these crazy days. In my experience, doing business has been a lonely place for free thinkers since 2016. There's been a regrettable, if understandable, lack of individuals able to speak their mind on many issues, from Brexit to climate, Trump, ESG, or indeed whatever diversity gruel of the day they serve up. 
To be fair, coming out as a free thinker in the boardroom can now be as risky as an academic donning he his red MAGA cap and heading on down to campus. This is where the London Caller Coffee Club comes in. A private, members-only business mastermind group with online and in-person options. Our mission? To positively impact each other's enterprises and stay sane together. We have guest speakers, opportunity and challenge, brainstorming, business networking and face-to-face meetups. To hear more and to make your suggestions, connect linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt or send a telegram at Thor underscore Holt. Sincerely, thank you for listening to London Calling Thor. Thank you, Thor. I suppose we should say for the benefit of our older and less technically literate listeners, he doesn't literally mean send him a telegram. He means send him a message using (laughs) telegram. The encrypted communication. Oh, Toby! App. They need an address to send a telegram, <laughs> wouldn't they? They may have, they may have thought you know the, the, the Thor underscore Holt was some kind of weird cryptic address. Oh. Have you ever had a telegram? Uh, um, yeah, I, I must have done. I think in the distant past. Yeah. Do what you about think? you? I don't think I have. That's but that's quite interesting in itself, isn't it? That we are the, the clearly the cut off generation. Yeah, I think we are. I think that, we, the, we, I may have got one in the nineteen sixties, like on my birthday from my dad if he was overseas or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I certainly haven't got many. But James, um, something big has happened since the last episode of London Calling. Now, some of our listeners will have heard this, but just in case there are any out there, I'm going to crow about it again. But on Tuesday at five thirty p.m., uh, PayPal contacted me to say that um, after a review and input from its customers and stakeholders, it had decided to restore all three of my accounts, my personal account, the account of the Daily Skeptic and the account of the Free Speech Union, um, which was quite a U-turn on the part of the big tech payment processing company. Um, And I think it was partly because, you know, closing my accounts had produced uh, a huge backlash in the media. Um, I'd you, about you didn't look it very well, I, 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 I was appearing on GB News daily <laughs> to complain about it. Um, and uh, 42 peers and MPs wrote to Jacob Rees-Mogg, urging him to hold PayPal to account over this and the cancellation of other individuals and organisations for purely political reasons. Um, and he said he did intend to look into this, and he called it uh, an example of cancel culture. So I think after all that pressure... PayPal basically decided to do a reverse ferret. Uh, and also, I think all the people, including many London Calling listeners, who contacted PayPal to tell the company it was that they were closing their accounts and giving them a piece of their mind and telling them why they were doing it. I think, you know, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say thousands of people did that. And I think that that had an impact. PayPal were thinking, crikey, we're losing customers here. Um, uh, this isn't working out well. This isn't working out as we intended it to. Um, and of course, I'm not going to start using PayPal again until they restore the accounts of all the other organisations and individuals well, they've shut down, for, which think... of course they're not going to do. So we need a change to the law. And I'm still going to, well, the Free Speech Union is still going to lobby the government to change the law to make it harder for banking, financial services companies to deplatform people for purely political reasons. That is the new battlefront in the ongoing war against free speech. We don't want a Chinese-style social credit system being unrolled in this country, so we need to do whatever we can to stop it, and that will mean, I think, changing the law. Um, yeah, but you've seen their their mission statement, that they're actually, they're actually going to double down. I mean, the, the, the fact that, that you've won a, a small tactical victory, uh, victory 
doesn't mean to say that we've run a strategic one because what's they they've announced i mean that they're going to um increase their policing of yes accounts which well which yeah i don't their, yeah absolutely we cannot rely on paypal to stop doing this that's why we need a change to the law yeah, but you can't rely on the government either because they're actually they're actually in league with the same people who are making the decisions at PayPal. So I, I, I mean, dream on, Tobes. Well, Seriously, we'll see. I, we'll I, see how far I get, James. I'm, your I'm, faith I'm not in the political system is just like um, <laughs> away with the fairies. There's quite a lot of quite a lot of political support for a change to the law to make this kind of arbitrary cancellation of people for purely political reasons by financial services companies. More oh, you're sure you'll get MPs making the right noises. When push comes to shove, they're not going to make the decisions. It's going to be... It, this has been pre-decided. I'm sorry. Right. See, that's where we differ, James. We've often clashed on this point before, but I'm not as fatalistic as you. I think it is possible to persuade our, uh, our representatives to do something about this. Um, ah, and, and if they don't... That's where you're going we, we wrong. Put, we put other politicians in power. That's how democracy works. They're not... A, they're not our representatives, and B, suppose they were for one one hilarious moment. Um, d- d- who are we going to replace them with to punish them? What Keir Starmer? He's yeah, he's he, your man, the guy who wants to turn turn Britain into a kind of red green tyranny. The the member of the Trilateral Commission, which is which is ultimately the organisation be- behind everything that's happening in the world. The Trilateral Commission of all of all the institutions. I mean probably worse than Bilderberg, probably worse than the WF. I mean, the Trilateral Commission created the World Economic Forum. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't buy into the idea that, oh, if the Conservatives fail to be Conservatives, we can boot them out and we'll get another, another party that will do more Conservative things because that ain't going to happen. Well, we might get, we might get um, another generation of Conservative leaders who are actually a bit more robust. My, my, I'm putting my faith in Kemi Badenoch. I think she actually would see some of these things through. I think she would stand up to these international financial companies, these big tech companies in California, um, and yeah, right. protect our rights and our free speech. I do. I, but used, anyway, I uh, used to go to those Tory conferences like you, Tubbs, and I used to imagine that, yeah, if only the robust wing of the Conservative Party got into power, then then they'd show us. How, what a proper conservative government looks like. It's all rubbish. What, what, so what are you going to talk about? Are you going to go to parties and things and drink well, with other people who haven't woken up? <laughs> it's like a cuck convention, James, up here. It's going to um, be, isn't it? It uh, really is. So I, I went to, there was a Freedom Association event earlier today, which I went to to talk about what we can do to defend free speech. Um, and then there's, um, I'm interviewing Andrew Doyle, author of The New Puritans and the creator of the sublime Titania McGrath character on Twitter. I'm interviewing him later at the Critic Party on stage. Still tickets available to that? Actually, no. I think by the time this goes, by the time this goes out, it'll have happened. Go and go, and go out in the streets and give them out free to the tramps. <laughs> <terms. laughs> and then and then um, and then uh, and then later this evening, there's a uh, I think it's a le- legal to say legal to type rally against the online safety bill. That's the name of the campaigning organisation that's campaigning against the online safety bill. And then tomorrow, I've got a panel in the morning on the online safety bill. And then I'm meeting in the afternoon. I think James, um, the lobbying arm of Facebook's oversight board, not Nick Clegg, the chairman of that board, not Nick himself, but some of his kind of political. 
people, and I'm hoping to persuade them to lift the ban that is currently imposed on my personal, a 90-day ban on my personal Facebook account and the Facebook account of the Daily Skeptic. So that'll be my second victory over a big tech giant uh, in less than a week, if I can pull it off. But I don't know whether I can or not. But um, I'm hoping after they've seen, you know, how... Um, PayPal were forced to do this humiliating U-turn. They'll think they'll think again about putting a 90-day ban on my accounts, which is completely outrageous. Anyway, um, yes. so uh, we should probably hear from another of our sponsors, James, because um, we've got a few to get through. Shall I do the next one? Yeah. Go on then. So, um, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. If you're like me and you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, this will change your mind. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just imagine all the Netflix libraries you can go through. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD, no problem. ExpressVPN also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the big screen or on the go. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, go to expressvpn.com dot com slash london right now and you can get an extra three months of express vpn for free that's express vpn dot com slash london the, the 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 url to use to take up this amazing offer and use this fantastic service is express vpn dot com slash london so james what else is happening um you're, you're feeling a bit under the weather uh, I am. Yeah, I am. You, you poor I thing. didn't listen, Tobes. I should have. I should have listened to Doctor Fauci and um, that gimp who runs the Welcome. What's he called? Yeah, <laughs> all those crooks. I should have listened to the crooks. Yeah, and then I wouldn't have a sore throat. I'm. I'm. I'm feeling just about okay. Everyone in my household, more or less, has a cold, but so far I haven't succumbed to it. But um, as my wife points out, I, I. I'm sort of. I'm permanently on the point of succumbing to a cold. She says, I cannot remember a time during our 21 years of marriage. I can't remember a single day on which you haven't claimed you're about to get a cold. So I'm a sort of, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? A kind of uh, borderline kind of precipice hypochondriac. I'm not convinced I'm ill the whole time, but I am convinced the whole time that I'm about to get ill. Um, yeah. And it drives my wife <laughs> nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well other people's sicknesses are boring I, I i was just thinking only a couple of days ago i was glancing at my twitter and somebody announced that they'd got a cold and i was thinking i really don't care look the world's about to be destroyed it's being taken over by the satanic forces of darkness the, the, the economy's going to collapse and and um they're going to starve us they're going to de- deny us heating and you're talking telling us about your cold and, and, and here I am now saying, saying I've got a sore throat. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. So I guess the big news um, uh, here in Birmingham um, was last night's uh, bombshell, apparently a decision taken uh, above where I was standing. So I was, in fact, in the bar of the Hyatt Hotel, which is the big 
conference venue and it's in the secure zone so for those who haven't been to one of these jamborees before you need a security pass to get into the secure zone where all the big parties are the big it's where the kind of hotel that all the uh, ministers the prime minister is staying in and then there's this kind of the lobby of the hotel is where kind of all the drinking and networking takes place and so there i was in the lobby at midnight doing a bit of drinking and networking and above me at that very moment were Liz Truss and Quasi Kwarteng um, deciding that they they must do a U-turn on the 45p tax cut and then it was subsequent it began to leak out and then it was announced on the Today program I, I think he I think actually Quasi announced it on Twitter at like 7:25 a.m. this morning I have listened I know when I've done wrong, I've listened and I'm going to course correct. And then he appeared it's on the Today program to get a mauling from Nick Robinson as he tried to justify it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would, it, would it, I mean, it's, it's it, the big debate, the big debating point today at the conference is, well, was that politically necessary? Was it in fact quite prudent because they realised they'd gone too far with the proposal to cut the top rate of tax, particularly at a time of austerity and rising cost of living etc or does it just make them look weak are, are are the rebels apparently led by michael gove are they now going to demand further concessions further u-turns further it's... abandonment of their libertarian fiscal policy um so it remains to be seen but it's quite volatile quite a febrile atmosphere and there's a fair amount of speculation that quasi himself may have to be the scapegoat that goes before the end of the week they seem to be trying to kind of fit up Chris Philp, who I think is um, first secretary to the Treasury, um, uh, uh, as the person whose idea it was. And he's saying, no, Gov, no, Gov, wasn't anything to do with me. Um, But it looks like he's been kind of um, fitted up to be the fall guy. But I'm not sure that would be enough to save Quasi. I think people would think, come on, you know, you've got to take this responsibility for yourself, big man. You can't blame it all on Chris Philp. Um, So I think, you know, you can get odds on on Quasi being gone by the end of the week. I think about seven to one. Do you know what you're doing, Tobes? You're telling me that that (laughs) Mr. Punch is getting his big club and he's having a go at the alligator that stole the sausages. That's all that's going... Uh, to, to quote my, my friend Hector Drummond on, on Twitter, fights over tax rates have for a long time been part of the PSYOP. Whether the top rate is 40 or, 50 or 45% really doesn't matter much compared to everything else that is being done to destroy Britain, but it's great misdirection and channels dissident anger into re- irrelevant fights. That's exactly what you're part of now. You're, 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 you're describing an irrelevant fight. It, 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 this stuff is all but, made up. It's not real. But you, you can imagine, I mean, <laughs> I don't think... Oh, I'm, I'm team quasi, because he, he's a black man who went to Eton, but he's not black according to some Labour MPs who want to get a bit of attention and it's just like but James you can't you can't you can't claim you can't claim you can't and you're being distracted by this by this silly psyop well it it can't be a premeditated psyop to first cut the tax and then you turn on it like five days later you you don't think they're capable of arranging that they are perfectly well able to arrange it why why would they why would they literally on the side why would they literally set fire to their political careers in order to distract us from what's really going on are they are they such kind of martyrs to the cause of kind of 
um, you know, um, the WEF's global conspiracy. That they're prepared to set their political careers on fire just to, to distract them, us from what's really going on. It seems a bit To call them martyrs would, would credit them with, with moral integrity. They are just puppets. They will do I, whatever they're I think told. In this week of all weeks, you can't maintain that this is all a conspiracy. This is clearly a massive cock-up. Um, and they're suffering for it. And both this might be why. gone within weeks. There will always be a divide between... Look, this has already been pre-decided. Everything has been pre-decided. <laughs> I don't I think, think the U-turn could possibly... The, I, the I next the, stage... I think you could plausibly argue, trilateral commission James. candidate, i.e. Keir Starmer, will come in and clean up, and then probably Gove will have will have will be allocated some sort of way if there's anything left of the world by then. It's all... It's all Actually, probably the Antichrist will have appeared by that, that point, so it'll, it'll be irrelevant. But yeah, no, I don't buy into any of this stuff. And I'm, I'm just amazed at your tolerance for engaging in this world. I mean, I, I can't think what you talk about. Because <laughs> all the things you talk about are, uh, uh, at these parties, any, everyone who is at the Birmingham conference is by definition a, a, a clueless normie. You're, you're all living in this fake world, fake paradigm. So all you can talk about is fake things. Meanwhile, the world's going to hell in a handcart and you're not talking about any of the issues. It's amazing. Funny enough, the mood in the bar of the Hyatt as the kind of, you know, as news of the government's impending collapse was kind of leaking down, leaking out of the kind of upper echelons of the hotel. Um, the mood was quite buoyant. And I think partly because, you know, people love a disaster and a sense of impending doom, you know, gallows humour and all the rest of it. And let's 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 drink and make merry before the world ends. Uh, but also, I think, uh, you know, the, the people who are there in the bar kind of making merry at these events kind of after midnight tend to be, you know, the younger generation. And, um, and I guess they were thinking, well, if this lot are on the out, if Labour are going to win the next general election, then there'll be a kind of clear out um, uh, and, and we'll then have a chance. It, w- it will move on up because the current lot have messed it up and they'll all be gone, you know, this time next yeah, year. Yeah, jam tomorrow, James. It's always jam tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, yeah. James, uh, we should probably hear from one more of our sponsors. I think it's your turn now. Should all we hear right, from our, our, our sailing friends? Oh, we should do. And I very much like uh, our sailing friend. Susie Goodall entered the second Golden Globe race dubbed the Voyage for Madman in 2018. The goal was to sail 36-foot sailboats with no modern equipment like GPS around the world and non-stop. The original race in 1968 is when Sir Robin Knox Johnston became the first person to achieve this sailing milestone. For the first time, you can read Susie's story in the Atavist magazine. Just Google Atavist magazine. That's A-T-A-V for Victor, I-S for Sugar, T magazine. And you'll see the story. Susie and her fiancé, Rory, think sailing boats may be the the last place to find freedom as the World Economic Forum's stranglehold tightens. You can read about their sailing adventures and libertarian musings on the Swinging the Lamp blog on Substack. Just search Swinging the Lamp on the Substack website or app. Yeah, that's, uh, I, do, I really envy those two tapes. I, 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 I met, I met, met um, I, I almost met Susie and, I, I, and I, I went on Rory's boat. You were invited, you didn't go. But he's a really great guy. And I'm just, I just so envy these people who've got the, the sailing skills to be able to escape the, the the tyranny that's coming yeah. our way. I mean, we, we, you think it's going to be all right, but it but it ain't. It's going to get really really maybe. bad. And, and, and la- we're going to wish we were dead. And when we last discussed this, I pointed out that the seasteading movement had run aground because it turns out that 
on the high seas, you're even more hemmed in by petty rules and regulations than you are on land. Uh, but apparently that, that someone's pointed out to me, several people in fact have pointed out to me, that that applies to, you know, repurposed cruise ships because they're still classified as cruise ships. And that's where the seasteaders hope to make their, you know, their, 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 their free, free nation states. Um, but it doesn't apply to um, sailing boats and yachts and the like. So you still yes. can enjoy, I think, a measure of more freedom um, on the high seas in your own boat. Um, provided it's not a cruise ship, um, than you could if you stayed on land. So, yeah, this is... But I suppose uh, you'd still have to come ashore, wouldn't you? I, I mean, you, okay, so you'd eat lots of fish, and that would be all free, and you'd catch them from the side. Yeah. But then you'd have to come ashore to get... Water. Get presumably. water. Yeah. Like they do in Hornblower books and things. Yes. Um, And I imagine that most of the terrain would be hostile. Except maybe... Do you think place, places like um, New Zealand... Uh, there might be, I mean, obviously New Zealand is enemy territory, but the, but also it's where all the the cabal are going, isn't it, for their, within their armed compounds to survive. Yes, coming, that's, that's right. The, the, the tech billionaires are, yeah, are, are setting up their kind of, um, yeah, their, their compounds, their secure compounds in New Zealand for, so they can survive the kind of coming apocalypse. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I kind of hope they don't. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So, um, unfortunately, I, I was invited to go on a speaking tour of New Zealand by the head of the New Zealand Free Speech Union, which is a very successful sister organisation of the Free Speech Union, but in New Zealand. Um, and I couldn't go because I haven't been vaxxed and you still need to be vaccinated in order to enter New Zealand. But did you see that Canada last week dropped the requirement that entrance to the country had to be vaxxed. So we can now go to Canada, James. It's joined the list. Do you want you to go, go to Canada? To. Well, I, I wouldn't mind if um, Pierre Poilivier, whatever it is, how you pronounce it, um, uh, is it, it becomes the prime minister. It might be quite fun to go there during the you know next general election campaign and watch uh, Justin Trudeau get completely spanked. Um, that might be quite entertaining. I don't know. It's all been rigged, Tobes. I doubt. I doubt. I doubt he will get spanked. He'll probably be. He'll probably get elected, re-elected with a, a stonking. A stonking majority. No, I don't think so. Don't. But but more importantly, I think that there is a real need for a free speech union in Canada. And I've been talking to a few um, sympathetic Canadians who agree with me on that and who might be interested in helping to set it up. So I might go over there now that I can to, to talk about that. Um, I think of all the... I mean, I think it's generally accepted that um, uh, the kind of woke cult has found kind of more fertile ground in the Anglosphere than it has anywhere else in the world for a variety of reasons. And I think within the Anglosphere, the country where the cult has got the strongest grip is probably Canada. So they desperately need a free speech union more so than almost any other country in the world. So if I can go over there and help get that set up, that would be very gratifying. Hmm. Yes. Good. Um, what are the closed places? That, Australia, I think, is... is um Oh, I don't know, though. I do, do we really want to, want to reward these places which have been so tyrannical with our, with our presence? Well, I mean, if uh, uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't mind, I, I wouldn't mind getting out and seeing a bit of the world again after being kind of locked in for, for so many years. But I mean, you, you, you've travelled a bit more than me. I've only been to, you know, I've been, since, since over the past three years, I've been to Italy twice, I think. And um, uh, I've, been to, I've been to Mexico. And, and that's about it. Um, whereas you've been, you've, you've been to all seven continents by the sounds of it. I haven't been, do you know, it's really annoying. I haven't been to South America. 
I've been to Costa Rica and I thought, well, great, I've been to South America. But unfortunately, Central America, did you know this? Central America technically is in North America, not South. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I did. I think I did. It, it's in the continent of North America, isn't it? So Mexico is in the continent of North America. I mean, you have to go quite far down to get into the continent of South America, don't you? I should the say place I, bought- I most want to go to is Colombia. Because right. Colombia has the best, um, the, the the biggest um, numbers of birds. I mean, different different bir- bird yeah, species. Yeah, I've forgotten there. you're a twitcher. You're a bit of a twitcher, aren't you? I am. Yes. Although I don't think we're called twitchers actually. Oh, is it twitchers? Is that, the is ones it? who who go and see a, a, a rare, unusual specimen, you know, alighting temporarily in some spot, and, and everyone goes there. Oh, it's a you know, you don't normally see that bird here, but regular. I think we're called birders. Okay, birders. All right. Sorry, didn't mean to get the. I, I thought you were going to say Twitcher was had become a kind of politically incorrect way of describing bird watchers because it made them sound kind of slightly odd. As like they've got, twi- yeah, they were twitching as they're twitching with <laughs> yeah, excitement yeah. as they see these. You know, the, the you a, know a me, Tobes. I'm 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 always eager to pounce on any any form of political in- incorrectness, and you you will not have any. <laughs> Racism, no, twitchism. Why, why you were rejecting Twitcher. Yeah, no, was, exactly. Uh, anyway, um, did you see what happened to um, poor old Russell Brand? I bet it was uh, perhaps not all that surprising. But um, Russell Brand, who has a very successful YouTube channel, he has almost 6 million subscribers. Um, he um, uh, had a video um, uh, that, that he'd posted um, taken down last week, um, uh, censored by YouTube. And he, he was also told that, you know, this is his one and only warning. If, 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 he, if he commits another breach of their community standards, the entire channel will be taken down. So now he's trying to migrate to Rumble, the Peter Thiel-backed alternative to YouTube. I think you use Rumble as well, don't you? Uh, I do, I do. Some of the... I, um, who are the ones I really hate? Some of the the comments you get on some of them, I think it is rumble. They're just they're com- complete tossers. A lot, of, a lot of the people, I don't know why. Um, anyway, yeah, did, what, did, you, did you know what, what his sin was? So Russell Brand's sin was to he, um, he 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 claimed that the National Institutes of Health in America, the um, organization that uh, Fauci um, still runs, I think, but is about to retire from running. Um, uh, he claimed that it had approved ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19 when in fact I think um, it had only approved the use of ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19 in various trials of the drug it was overseeing but not for general use okay after he'd made that fairly minor mistake and a perfectly innocent mistake I might add um, was it even uh, a mistake I mean that's just a, a mistake by their lights not necessarily well, by the lights of absolute truth anyway um, he apologised for it um, uh, and and corrected himself um, uh, and nevertheless YouTube decided to take down the original video um, and uh, and tell him that another mistake like that and his channel would be gone. I mean, quite extraordinary. It was classified as COVID-19 misinformation. And as Brand pointed out in his kind of angry video about this episode, which he posted last week, um, you know, there are YouTube videos still up there of various health panjandrums and government officials saying that the COVID-19 vaccines are 100% effective against infection. You know, the, the vaccine stops the virus dead in its tracks. If you take the vaccine, you cannot transmit the virus to anyone else because you cannot catch COVID-19. I mean, 
in the grand scale of things, probably a more misleading claim than Russell Brand's minor mistake about whether ivermectin had been approved for general use or just for use in various clinical trials. Um, but uh, all those videos, of course, haven't been taken down. I mean, that's one of the problems with um, companies like YouTube trying to enforce this sort of ban on misinformation is that their enforcement of it is totally selective. Um, but the people who own... Um, YouTube. That's that's the is that alphabet. It is. Yeah, it is. That, yeah. The, yeah. Okay. So, so I had this policy of only putting up videos of, you know, of versions of my podcast where we hadn't talked about contentious issues like the vaccine, where they're they're really hot on you. But just but just because it, it's just not worth it. You just get you know another strike against you, and then you're out. So I'd been really really careful to keep my nose clean. And we tried putting up a, a, one of my nose clean videos the other day and found I'd already been 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 banned. And why had I been banned? Because of some old videos that, that nobody was watching. I mean, no one no one will have seen for would have bothered watching for two years with with fairly obscure people. So there was no danger that anyone was going to watch them ever again. I would suspect. Um, but they'd obviously gone gone trawling through those, looking looking for things to be offended by. And they 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 banned me, so I can't I can't go on YouTube anymore. Yeah. So so, so they're, they're, what I'm saying is they're very very vindictive. They're on a mission. It's just like PayPal. The fact that that they've temporarily rescinded their ban on you means absolutely zilch. Yeah, well, These people I'm... are just on a mission to destroy free speech. So um, the, the the big story at the beginning of the conference was actually about a guy called Daniel Granger who had a similar experience by the sounds of it to the one you just had. So um, he's a young conservative activist and he was almost mugged um, as soon as he arrived in Birmingham for the conference. And he tweeted in anger after that attempted mugging, God, Birmingham is such a dump. And the mayor of Birmingham, who's a conservative, kind of reacted very badly, complained loudly about it, Poor old Daniel Granger had to delete his tweet and apologise. And now he's been suspended from the party and placed under investigation. But he's been suspended not for that tweet, which he's deleted and which wasn't that bad in the grand scheme of things. But for another tweet they've managed to find from three years ago, which they claim was Islamophobic. It's like, well, why didn't you ban him for it three years ago in that case? I mean, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, they decided that um, that's a good excuse to suspend him from the party and investigate him because he said this supposedly Islamophobic thing three years ago. It's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, well, I don't buy into any of these things anyway. I mean, Islamophobia is just a nonsense. It's just like all, all, all these all these terms, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, they're all just designed to shut people down. They're, you know, they're, no, I, I'm, I'm not playing that game anymore. So should we hear from another sponsor, James? Um, this is, again, one I think we sourced ourselves from uh, a listener who thinks that um, actually advertising on London Calling is fantastic value and well worth it from a commercial point of view. So, hurrah. Thanks to big tech, we're all under a constant barrage of communication. When you're not being messaged, pinged or DM'd, you're being inboxed or atted. Through the actual letterbox, nothing but bills, direct mail and fast food leaflets. If you miss the joy of sending and receiving real letters, then you need eSnail. If you like the idea of a typed airmail letter that lets you choose fonts, add photos and then arrives in a quarter of the usual time, you'll love eSnail. Head to esnail.com, type or paste in your 800-odd word missive, add the address and press send. 
eSnail then prints, folds, securely seals and stamps the letter at the closest eSnail hub to its destination. eSnail print and post daily from hubs in the US, the UK, India and Australia to anywhere in the world with a physical address. Cost and delivery time depends on the destination. An e-snail letter sent from Mexico City to Hammersmith, from Hong Kong to rural Northamptonshire, or to Granny down the road, costs less than £3 or less than $3.50 and arrives in two days. London Calling listeners and all special friends get their first three e-snail letters free. Use the promo code LONDON at e-snail.com. Get on the right side of the argument. Join the letter revolution at esnail.com. That's e-snail.com today. So, James, um, I don't know if you've seen it on the news, but as um, as you enter the secure zone, you have to run a gauntlet of very angry um, blue and pink haired protesters waving placards and shouting at you at you getting right up in your probably face paid for by Tory central office <laughs> in order to evokes invokes sympathy for you <laughs> um, and uh, I, I haven't actually I haven't actually um, I've been so busy with bits and bobs and doing stuff on the fringe I haven't actually I've been to the secure zone I went there last night to go to the bar of the Hyatt and to go to a party but by the time I got there the protesters had sort of packed up and gone home so I'm going to go down there later today to get the full blast and uh, a few years ago um, I decided it would be quite fun to ask one of these protesters, you know, what they were protesting about and why they thought I was such a scumbag. So one of these, the, right, yeah. I, I think I told you this story before, but just just to just I to remind you in case you've forgotten. Well, I, I I sort of I said to the police, you know, this the, the the police had a sort of formed a phalanx to protect the you know the Tory scum from being kind of egged and sm- smacked in the face by these protesters. And I said to one of these policemen, "Do you mind if I go through you know past you on the other side and talk to these protesters?" Oh no, I wouldn't advise that, sir. And I was like, no, no, I'll take my life into my own hands. It's fine. So I I snuck under the kind of police cordon and and went up to a kind of gaggle of particularly kind of noisy protesters and said, um, could I could I take one of you out to lunch? I'd really like to find out why it is that you hate the delegates going to this conference so much. And I think I've got a sneaking suspicion we'll end up having more in common than we think. So can I take one of you out to lunch? It would be great. I need to find out exactly why you think the way you do. And I want to try and persuade you that we're not all bad people. And uh, and that, that they, they were kind of paused. They were stunned. And then one of them immediately piped up with, who wants to sleep with common people? It wants to sleep with common people. And they all laughed uproariously, thought this was hilarious. The, the Tory squire trying to pick up a chick amongst these kind of scruffy protesters. And I said, no, no, I don't actually want to have sex with any of you. I just want to sit down and have lunch with you. And I'm going to write about it in The Spectator. I'm a spectator journalist. I'm not actually a Tory minister, um, but um, I do support the government. So, you know, um, you can call me scum and I'm willing to defend them. So and anyway, this woman then stepped forward and said, OK, I'll do it. And said, but I won't let you buy me lunch. I'll just let you buy me a coffee. She didn't want to take, you know, she wasn't going to take my filthy lucre uh, other than for a coffee. And um, anyway, so we went to this sort of nearby Starbucks and sat down and I interviewed her. And she, she wasn't what you were expecting at all. She was, um, OK, she was quite a successful doula. She'd been a doula for a, a, a Premier League football manager, clearly done quite well, enough to 
by her own council house. So she was taking advantage of the Tory policy to enable people to buy their own council houses. Um, and uh, and even though she was, an, a, a, at that point, um, a, a passionate Corbynista, this was in 2015, um, uh, just after Corbyn had been elected Labour leader, um, before that she'd been swept up by Clegmania. So in 2010, she'd voted Lib Dem because she was absolutely, in, felt exactly towards Nick Clegg as she now did towards Jeremy Corbyn. And I said, you know, don't you anticipate then being equally disillusioned in due course by oh no no he's different he's different um, but it was quite it was it was it was a stimulating conversation and then she then I then wrote a piece and I sort of you know I I I I, I suppose I took the Mickey a bit out of this kind of not not quite what you were expecting kind of you know socialist rabble rouser turned out to be a bit of a capitalist bought around council home and the rest of it and um, and she and she was so cross she complained to the Spectator uh, that I'd misrepresented her and given a very one sided account of our conversation so they then invited her. To to write her side of it up and she did and it was duly published in the spectator so uh yeah i thought it was a good stunt but i don't think i can repeat it this year they seem even angrier this year than they did in uh, in 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 2015 well they're paid to be angry Ted. so of course they are they've probably been paid more money to be angry this year than they, the, the previous years do you think do you think, uh, think uh, interesting question james let's suppose um i'm walking i'm i'm running the gauntlet and some protester breaks through the police cordon and smacks me in the mouth um, it, what would be the correct response at that point? Do I kind of, hop, you know, limp into the secure zone, clutching my bleeding mouth and then um, portray myself as a victim, you know, of these unruly mobs and say, this is what's going to happen if you vote Labour? You know, you're electing these thugs into office. Or would it be better if I was to smack him in the mouth back? Or would I then be oh. kind of, if he then fell to the ground and, and, and then started kind of rolling around and screaming in agony in order to portray himself as a victim of a kind of evil squire? Um, do you think that would actually... It would be- I would have thought... The answer to that is 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 very obvious. It, it, it depends on what your martial skills are like. <laughs> I mean, I understand from people who do martial arts for a living and and, and train people to in in self defence that they say that that what you should do is either run away or hit them so hard um, that they that, that that gives you time to run away. That there's no point engaging in a ruck. Obviously, the, the dream scenario is if, if, if you've got the skills to be able to bring them down and humiliate them. You think about that time when John Prescott yeah. decked somebody uh, and he became a kind of national hero. But he was, he was like, he was but like, he, but he was, he was, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing for kind of, you know, the deputy leader of the Labour Party. I think he then was to kind of, uh, yeah. you know, give someone a short jab in the face if they've just egged him, you know. Um, but, but for a kind of, you know, for a member of the Tory squirearchy at this point in particular in the political cycle to deck a protester, even if it's seemingly in self-defence, I think it could you it could it could be oh, spun very badly. That's interesting that you consider yourself a member of the Tory <laughs> well, squirearchy. Like, that's how I'd be portrayed is portrayed in the kind of left-wing press and probably by the BBC. No, I honestly think, Tobes, are you are you seriously saying you know how to? I know you went to a rough comprehensive. I did, and, and that that's, did. that's I'm used to, I'm used to dealing with these yobbos. Yeah, you you still don't know about about um, how to parse a sentence, do you? You, you lack all those skills. But yeah, presumably, can't speak what, Greek. What, what you gained is the ability to to get in a ruck and acquit yourself. How many? When were you? When were you last in a fight? Gosh, I was last in a fight. I think in a in a in a nightclub in um, Portugal, when uh, uh, a couple of Portuguese guys were uh, piling into this English chap, and he was coming off very much 
worse. And I piled in to kind of, um, you know, uh, defend him. Um, and you won't believe it, but it's true. Was it I was Ronaldo? quite drunk. It was, unfortunately, it was, it was, it was, well, the Englishman was the person being assaulted. And Ronaldo was right. not one of the two Portuguese chaps assaulting him. And I ended up getting a slightly Because Ro- Ronaldo is obviously gay, isn't he? I mean, you know, so he, you'd have him easy. <laughs> but but, but, but the, the irritating thing was, James, that um, uh, when I piled in to help this kind of Englishman, um, uh, uh, he immediately kind of he was sort of unclear what was happening. And I think he thought I was yet another, you know, assailant or didn't wasn't really thinking. So he lashed out at me and he punched me in the face. Not either of these two Portuguese guys and ended up <gasps> chipping one of my teeth. And I thought that's the last time I'm, I'm leaping to someone's defense um, because I think they're being, you know, bullied by somebody else. You know, no good turn goes unpunished. It's not worth the risk. So did, uh, that did was the last you, time I did that. Did it cost to get the, the chip years repaired? Ago. I didn't ever get it repaired. It's still chipped. It's not too bad that's, a chip. That's okay. Um, but do, do you know what to do with... Sorry, to, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with this. Um, do you know what to do with your fists? Would, would you know what position to put your knuckles and, and, and how... Because I, I wouldn't even know that. I wouldn't even know... What, are you meant to strike the skin with your knuckles or with the sort of that flat bit between the, you know, the, the two joints? Um, what? I, How do you? I think. I think the, the only the only the only philosophy I acquired um, at the um, various rough comprehensive schools I went to, being being quite small um, and yeah. not particularly you know muscular or strong. Yeah. Um, uh, my my only philosophy was to hit first, hit hard, and hit often. And if you can do that, um, uh, uh, you know, fast enough, you can overwhelm your opponent. It's often psychological. Okay. Um, you know, they, they they're so kind of. They're so, I mean, often what people usually do when they're kind of getting into a fight is they kind of spend a little bit of time squaring up to each other, oh, you know, stupid, and they kind of circle stupid. one another. And then by the Rookie time, error. by the time the blo- the first blows go in, each each person is kind of well prepared for it. And in that scenario, the kind of stronger person's going to win. But if you go in first and you go in as hard as you possibly can, um, often they'll be so shocked and stunned that this little you know, this 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 little 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 creature standing in front of them has turned out to be a little ferocious ball of energy. That that they'll they'll um they'll they'll stop. They won't they won't try and you know continue. Uh, not always. Sometimes you end up coming off very poorly. Um, uh, and your your, well, your your flurry of punches makes no impact on the brute. But anyway, that that's well, my, my little like, that's ferocious the ball can... of energy. What I say is is go for it. I think uh, it would entertain uh, uh, us all. It'd be a lot more entertaining than anything else they've got planned on there. Yeah, I think I do, so but I do, do think it. I do think that even if even if the other person drew first blood. Um, if if it was captured on you know uh, by by a hundred mobile phones, me ferociously <laughs> in a frenzied way hitting hard and often until this person went down, I don't think it would. I don't think I'd come off looking very good. But anyway, oh. I don't, I, I'm going to try and avoid it if I possibly can. Have so, we done all our adverts yet? Or have let, we got even more? I think, I think oh. we've got one more from you, and that's it. I think, and then we'll go to culture. Oh, it's our old friend, isn't it? We haven't we haven't done. That's right. It's our old friend. Yeah. If you're a regular listener to this show, you know that farmers all around the world are in the sights of big ag and big government and big evil. And we've urged you to support them. How do you do that? Well, if you're among our American listeners, you know. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door all while helping family farms become financially independent. Unlike your local supermarket, with Moink, you have total control over the quality and source of your food. 
Customise the meat and fish selections delivered in every box, stick with family favourites or mix it up each month and cancel any time. This past weekend, our American producer, Evil Brian, was the family hero by serving up a breakfast around Moink's perfectly seasoned pure pork sausage and everyone loved it. I wish I was there. Damn you, damn you, Evil Brian. Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted, and I agree. It's no wonder Jamie Simonoff, creator of the Ring Video Doorbell, invested in Moink. They guarantee you'll say, oink, oink, I'm just so happy I got moinked. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash London right now and listeners of this show get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash London. That's moinkbox.com slash London. So, James, Culture Corner, um, have you seen The Capture yet? I've now finished season one, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, this is the third time you recommended, and, and people have been taunting me, saying, why haven't you watched it yet? I, I, it's, well, it, it's A, because it was got reviewed by um, my opposite number, right. um, James Walton, on, on Spectator. So, because, like, I ha- it's amazing how quickly your review week comes round. And if you haven't seen so, I tell you what I, I, tell you what I have been watching. Um, which I really recommend. Well, not, not really, 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 but but yeah, really recommend. Is um, this the old man? Oh yeah, yeah, with um, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges and Third Rock from the Sun guy. Um, uh, well, um, John Lithgow. John, John Lithgow. Lithgow. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, it, it's kind of it's kind of old man porn. I for, for people like you and me, Tobes, who. Right have reached a certain age and we in fact this 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 gels quite nicely with your discussion about whether you should be in, involved in fights because we like to think that you know even though we're old we've still got it yeah and so this is this is a this is a it's a classic scenario where the hoary old old guy um ex-cia is in retirement and uh you know, he thinks he's he's got got a happy life or whatever, and 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 then somebody comes to assassinate him, and he realizes that his cover's been blown, and uh, he, he's back into the old world that he was spent his his whole life trying to escape, um, and you've got um, Lithgow is the, the FBI man who was his buddy, who is now charged with tracking him down, and of course techniques have changed since he was a cia man and 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 the 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 men have got younger and and you know he's got to fight off these these much younger men and and yeah i think it's i i it's i've only seen two episodes but it but it's setting up it's setting up pretty nicely sounds good i i I thought i I once um came up with a premise for an action movie that i tried to persuade a friend of mine who's written a best-selling thriller um to help me write at least produce a treatment but we never got around to it like, I think we, we produced something very you know very high level but um, not enough to sell uh, but the premise was three guys who were um, uh, involved in the SAS in its first inception in the second world war are returning from being honored by you know a French village that they helped to liberate in 1945 
blew up some German munitions dumps and so forth. Um, uh, and they're returning back by plane to London. Um, and they're all in their 80s. They're all quite frail. One of them has like, um, you know, a walking frame. Um, and, uh, and the plane gets hijacked by these kind of Muslim terrorists. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and these three guys, and they, they, they don't, they don't, they're, not, they're not expecting, you know, these three old geezers who are kind of drinking gin and tonics and kind of, uh, you know, going to the toilet every... They're quite posh geezers, then. They're quite posh geezers, yeah. They don't expect them to give them any trouble at all. And it turns out they've still got the skills. And uh, they're just a bit Even rusty. with the Zimmer frame. Even with the I Zimmer frame. Yeah. used as a weapon. It uses the Zimmer frame as a weapon, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whacks a terrorist over the head with the Zimmer frame. And one of them ends up, you know, landing the plane. And it's uh, sort of... And I sort of imagined you'd have the kind of, you know... It was back when... When I came up with the idea, Roger Moore and Sean Connery, you know, were still alive. And I imagine you'd have kind of three ex-Bond actors playing the three kind of uh, SAS Is it called heroes. Cronks, Cronks on a Plane? I can't remember exactly. We came up with a title for it. Um, uh, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. Well, I'm just, I'm just giving old, you a title, mate. I mean, it's gonna, plane, yeah. I think what it lacked was the, was a title. Maybe. But now, maybe, yeah. all the producers... That, that listen Sha- to this shake, shakes shakes on a plane yeah i could have i could have i could have made your your fortune <laughs> anyway um yeah. old man sounds like that so i'm i'm, I'm definitely going to check that out um i i watched um episode one or at least half of episode one of this england which is this new sky oh, yes. atlantic series about um the early days of boris's premiership um when he was overwhelmed by the pandemic and boris is played by Kenneth Branagh wearing some very odd kind of prosthetic makeup, um, and my God, James, it's uh, it is it's just it's like a kind of it's like a sort of dramatic reenactment of the kind of regime-approved narrative. So um, yes. we see the emergence of the coronavirus in the wet market in Wuhan. Like you don't even see the Wuhan Institute of Virology, not part of the story at all. They completely buy into the kind of um, official Chinese explanation of how they... And and then then people like Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet, is portrayed as a kind of crusading journalistic hero trying to get the news out there, you know, before uh, to these kind of complacent government officials and ministers who just just don't realise, you know, the crisis is about to engulf them and don't react nearly quickly enough to it. Um, and it's kind of, it's like, you know, these bumbling fools on the one hand, you know, Boris and his lieutenants like Matt Hancock yeah. and, the, and, and these and these kind of crack scientists and journalists who are incredibly public spirited. Oh, who's the crack just, journalist? Uh, well, Richard Horton. The, uh, but there are, I think oh, there's, I see. there's I also... Suppose, I, mean, there's I suppose also, he is, yeah, I suppose yeah. in his imagination. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be, and it's extraordinary. It is just the official narrative. Um, um, uh, and uh, and it's like and one of the one of the one of the creator I mean the main creator of this of this of this series is Michael Winterbottom who I think until recently kind of styled himself a kind of left wing countercultural you know socialist revolutionary um, uh, and now here he is having completely embraced the kind of big tech wef big farmer agenda I mean it's just extraordinary how how that kind of Vault fast, that sleight of hand happened. I don't quite know, but it is absolutely made James, plain is, in this film. That is really disturbing. Do you know what? I just Googled him then. I typed in Michael and Winterbottom was the first thing that came up without just having typed Michael. Right. Now, what does that mean? Does, does that mean that some sort of AI tech is listening to... How Gosh. could that be possible? Wow. I mean, it, it could just be that um, Google is promoting Michael Winterbottom either because 
you know, the company yeah, that made right. this film, like Sky Atlantic, is, is is paying them to do that. So they'll find him. And like, if you click on his name, it's the first hit, the new series on Sky Atlantic. Interestingly, he was at Balliol. Yeah. He's, he's, he's born in 61. So he would have maybe been there for Boris's first year possibly maybe yeah maybe he actually has a personal so maybe animus. there's some yeah. maybe maybe he came on to boris or yeah. boris came okay. on to him and he didn't one of the other didn't like it and there's bad blood there or who knows by the way um, he, so but, he did 24 hour party people which was yeah, quite which was actually quite, quite fun, good wasn't, wasn't it? it it was quite good yeah um and he also did that one was it like the tristram shandy not tristram shandy but uh, uh, I don't know. I've always thought he was quite good in the past, but this this new thing is just absolutely unspeakable. It is. I, I mean, I I only saw about five minutes of a bedroom scene. Not not no sex involved, but but they were in bed together. Um, and Branagh looks like Boris, apart from the hair is not sufficiently dishevelled. He does look but, a bit like him, yeah. He, he, but the prosthetic makeup is a little overdone, I think. But he he, he captures him quite well. He gets the kind of um, the, the, he he sounds like him. He gets the speech pattern right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's more or less the only good thing you could say. But about but, it, but it, I mean, it, it does rather confirm what, what what I say about about the BBC. It, it is on the BBC, isn't it? No, it's Sky it Atlantic. Something? Oh, okay, yeah, but 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 same thing. They're all part of the same. I mean, Sky Atlantic is is who owns it? That that terrible organisation. Um, yeah, uh, Comcast. It's sort of it's Comcast, Comcast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they're just just hideously woke. Yeah, and the, and the, the CEO he, of Comcast used to. Um, uh, she wasn't exactly working from home, but she remained. She she she, she didn't move to the UK when she became what the I think no when she when she became the CEO of Sky. She didn't move to the UK. She still, she still, she used to commute in a private jet um, twice a week or something. Um, even though at that time Sky was promoting this kind of, um, you know, climate agenda, she couldn't make. Yes, it yes. The, the, I mean, it is extraordinary that they can get they can get away with this. That they can make this this drama purportedly about about Boris, but really just designed to reinforce the entire narrative, which. Surely people have woken, are beginning to wake up to, but yeah, by now I can't imagine many people going and "Yeah, if it hadn't been for crusading journalists like the editor of the Lancet, we'd have we'd have all died." Yeah, that is that is that is the, that is nobody the could think that. Surely, <laughs> it's extraordinary. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, what else? I, I I did see episode six of um, Rings of Power, um, uh, and um, I thought You've it was got that far. I got that far, and episode six is unquestionably. The best episode so far. So, you know, I think we've both been complaining about, you know, how slow going it is. And yes. it's all kind of world building and kind of exposition, yep. um, seemingly building to some kind of genuine drama and conflict. But it doesn't seem to materialize. Um, but it materializes in episode six. And um, what you mean? There's, there's, there's some fight scenes. Yeah, there's some, there's some big epic battle scenes. There's a cavalry charge. The kind of different that the the kind of there are multiple storylines, and two of them have finally converged. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I'm suddenly kind of um, much. I'm oh, you're much not warmer about it. Terms. You're temporarily. <laughs> I'm a I'm a fickle less, beast. Less James. unimpressed than you were. I'm I'm easily easily bought. Yeah, you are, a few battle scenes, cavalry charges. Yeah, I bet Je- Jeff Bezos has given you a kind of sweetener, <laughs> and now you're saying, oh no, actually, it's really quite good. The, uh, Bob, Bob the cartoonist had something. He made a very good point about this because I, I imagine that um, Galadriel, 
was big in this scene. Am I right? She was. Yeah. Was she on a horse? She was on fighting. A horse. Yeah, a lot. Yes, she was. So, Bob, the I, I wish I could find what he said about it because it probably involved going too too far back. But he he, he basically makes the point that. What happened to Gladriel that by the time Lord of the Rings, she'd completely given up any interest in fighting and just wanted to sort of hover around in her woodland glade, dispensing weird stuff to So is, is, is Galadriel the, the character then in Lord of the Rings played by Kate Blanchett? Is that the same character? Ah, oh, yes. Now, here we are. This is, uh, this is, this is Bob. This is Bob. Let's, <laughs> let's rewrite... Uh, Yes. The Rings of Power will presumably at some point explain why Galadriel eventually decides to stop being the most kick-ass warrior stroke military strategist in the whole of Middle-earth and become an aloof forest dweller who stares into bowls of water and does no fighting at all. And then he, then he imagines the producer saying, let's rewrite her character so that she is totally obsessed with defeating Sauron, like it's the whole essence of her being. And then somebody else says, doesn't that contradict the fact that 3,000 years later, when he's finally defeated, she doesn't even bother to show up? Uh, and then somebody else says, stop being racist. <laughs> but, that sounds quite funny. I did think about the, the character of Galadriel. Like she's supposed to be, you know, quite old isn't she <laughs> even in rings of power you know she's she's definitely several hundred years old if not they age very well elves they do they age really well do. and it's like she, the, the really remarkable thing is not that you know that that she has the appearance the body the face of a kind of 25 year old um you could sort of suspend disbelief about that but her whole character her soul you know Everything about her, her reaction to men, her impulsiveness, her hot-headedness, her lack of diplomacy, all seems to speak of a 25-year-old brain as well as a 25-year-old body. And you think, that's a bit odd. That, that it's harder to suspend disbelief about. I mean, you'd think she'd have acquired a little wisdom, might have become a little jaded, might have lost interest in sex after several thousand years, you know. But um, seemingly not, no. In, all, in almost every respect, she is and looks like a 25-year-old. You'd, you'd get pretty good at sex if you were doing it for 3,000 years. You, you would, yeah. I'd wanna, I mean, you'd yeah, try every permutation. Yeah. And uh, you're right, you could, get, you could get rather jaded. Yeah, you would have thought so. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be going into, going into really niche stuff. But I suppose stuff if, there, if, there were, the if there were these, like, 5,000-year-old elves around about, you know, that look like Galadriel, you would think, Christ, I would love to get off with her because she's going to really know what she's doing. Um, yeah. I imagine they'd be highly yeah, competent. But, but also, imagine, imagine if Gladriel was three thousand years old, and um, you'd be she'd be so difficult to pull because her standards would would, would be so high. She you know she'd be she, she'd probably have slept with the most you know handsome you know well hung. Also, if she's used to sleeping with other you know five thousand year old men, she's probably used to a certain technical proficiency that you and I, James, might find it hard to reproduce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, I, I, I don't think we'd have, have a chance to reconsider my yeah. my fantasies about Arwen because uh, I I don't think she'd be very impressed. She'd say, "Was was that it?" She'd say. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, James, um, maybe okay. we, should, we should call it a day. Yeah, um, we may have amused our listeners long enough um, and bored them Delighted with at least five enough, ads. Yeah. Anyway, okay, mate. Um, we will uh, talk again. Oh, well, enjoy next your week. conference. Enjoy your vapid conversations about. <laughs> 
trivial issues and wh- wh- yeah. what's the party tonight where are you going uh, there's a there's a critic party where i the, the big attraction james is me interviewing andrew doyle on stage and then there's a uh, a a legal to say legal to type rally which is an anti-online safety bill rally later on this evening so can i give you a tip mate yeah keep it short nobody nobody <laughs> nobody wants the entertainment i'll they try and I'll, yeah, drink, I, I, i'd already thought of that and I've, I've i've savagely cut what i was going to say and i think i've pared it down to about 45 minutes so yeah, I, I, I've already I taken that. Four lesson. minutes, which would be more people no, no, left. No, no. Four minutes. I mean, they pays their money. They want me for at least half an hour, James. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay, mate. Well, um, okay, enjoy yourself. All right. All right. Don't Bye. get arrested. Bye. Bye. This is London calling. Ricochet. Join the conversation.